today on the Tearsheet Podcast. The fintechs came in, um, clean slate, and said, "I don't have, you know, like like any like any uh, disruptor. I'm not encumbered in that way." They thought out of the box. They they created innovative uh, products, things that customers were asking for, and uh, that really, in, in my opinion, uh, that created the tension uh, that forced the um, not only the legacy providers but the the existing financial institutions to um, to step up to the to the plate here. Hi, I'm Zach Miller, Editor-in-Chief of Tearsheet. The following was produced by Tearsheet Studios. We worked with payments provider Fiserv to create a podcast series about open finance and the work of empowering fintechs, brands, and FIs to collaborate and innovate together. In the second conversation in the series, we're speaking with Frank Sanchez, co-founder of FinZact and vice chairman of Fiserv. We talk about the promise and challenges with next generation cores, how fintechs are leveraging them in pushing open finance forward, what sets them apart from legacy banking cores, and what innovations we can anticipate in the near future. I'm Frank Sanchez, and I am currently the vice chairman of Fiserv, and I'm the uh, managing director of the FinZact subsidiary, which I started in 2017 as a, as a founder and CEO. And Prior to that, I've been in the core banking business uh, for 44 years. Amazing. And uh, zoom out a little bit and talk about what, how you got to where you are today. I know this is not the first rodeo as That's, well. It's exactly right. It's not the first rodeo. I, I started in 1979, a company called Sanchez Computer Associates, uh, along with my brother and my dad. And we uh, designed and brought to market the first um, online banking system. Uh, it was successfully installed in over 200 institutions globally. And uh, we sold that company. Um, we went public in 2000, uh, around 2000, and we sold the company to Fidelity Information Services in 2003. And uh, I went along with the sale and moved from uh, Philadelphia down to Jacksonville, Florida, where I reside today. And I uh, was responsible uh, at FIS for a uh, division called Enterprise Banking, which was the top 150 global banks, and also responsible for um, all, all product development across the, the 14 cores that we, we had at FIS. I retired in 2011 and uh, joined a, a fintech startup in Silicon Valley called ZenBanks, along with uh, a good friend of mine, Arkady Coleman, the former chairman of uh, ING Direct. And we sold, um, uh, we sold that company to uh, SoFi in 2016. And uh, at that point, I was sort of um, asked by um, in, uh, executives in the industry to take one more lap around the track, if you will, and, and build a next generation core. So in 2017, uh, starting from, from scratch, really, um, Tabla Rosa um, bought new computers and everything, new desktops, and, and um, we went off to build a next generation core. And uh, now, five years later, it's, uh, it was acquired by, uh, by Fiserv, and it's successfully installed in about 20 institutions. We have eight or nine other projects underway. So um, we're off and running. We've been talking to Fiserv um, about this evolution uh, and possibilities of open finance. And um, I'm, I'm happy to talk to you, Frank, about like sort of the role next generation cores like Finexact facilitate in open finance. Can you address that issue? The, the uh, legacy cores were really uh, responsible for one function, and that was the basic accounting of transactions and, and record keeping for um, 
for accounts, customer accounts, and reporting to the general ledger and, and that type of thing, producing customer statements. The uh, attempting to integrate those cores into an ecosystem where you might have um, um, uh, additional content, uh, other applications, um, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, integration upstream and downstream was very difficult to do. And then, and then the, this generation of cores is really designed to be part of an ecosystem, not to stand alone and, and perform a single uh, function. What factors are driving the move towards openness? So this idea of open finance and open ecosystems, and along with that, innovations like next generation core. Yeah, I think people are looking for more of an of an end to end integration where you might have um, uh, some a front end application for a dentist or um, some other vertical application that's responsible for providing um, functionality to the to a practice. So practice management systems and integrating the financial function right into it, so that the uh, the payables immediately um, produce pay, uh, payments into the payment system. The receivables immediately go out in debit accounts, and so more, more, much more of an end to end integration, and also more flexibility. And that requires, in order for it to really work, it requires a, a move to more of an API or application interface driven ar um, architecture, where um, products like ours. Uh, publish the interface, and they can be readily consumed from other applications without having to go through um, a significant amount of development on either party. Very similar to what people have been doing, integrating with products, uh, other SaaS products like Salesforce, where it's you know it becomes part of an of a of a broader ecosystem. Also on the um, you know on the on the functionality side, we're seeing more of a hybridization of, of products where they're uh, not only are we dealing with with cash, but we're dealing with cryptos. We may be dealing with securities uh, of, of another nature. And these, uh, you know, managing a customer really needs to needs to mean that you manage them over a broader spectrum of products. What does the next gen core do that earlier ones didn't? In other words, like what problems does the next generation core solve? For one, and you know, to, to just differentiate the next generation cores, they they're they're cloud-based to begin with, um, you know, really across the board because you you can't really uh, um, understand what the scale may be because you are opening it up for uh, for other uh, applications to utilize. And you know, the, 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 there can be busy days and slow days. Um, you're, you're in an e-commerce type of an environment. Um, it's you're you're capturing uh, much more about a transaction than a legacy core. Again, legacy cores are really designed to be accounting engines. Uh, the next generation cores are are tracking much more information around transactions that can be used for uh, customer analytics and fraud and the you know and, and the things that we have to deal with in a very active and real time payment uh, system today. So those are you know th those are some of the features and and again it's enabled by what we call uh, RESTful APIs, which means that the uh, it's accessible uh, as if any um, as if any web page would be accessible through an HTTP request, and so it's a much simpler environment to integrate with. However, that brings a lot of additional uh, burden and demand for security, um, for threats, for scale, because now you've, you've actually opened up the accounting uh, infrastructure and the record keeping infrastructure to a broader community. Um, it also allows, and it was important when I got involved in FinZact, that uh, we focused on just building the best real-time position keeping um, platform and we we sort of took the vertical stack that the legacy applications were where they, they were the front end they were the orchestration layer they were the 
the accounting engines or system of record. They were the reporting systems. We split that out and said, we're going we're to do this one piece of this thing very, very effectively, which, which is a system of record. And we'll allow other best-in-class applications to deal with the user interface and the you know, channel applications and uh, risk and fraud analysis and you know, uh, customer analytics and those types of things. So what we're doing is we're, we're very much broadening uh, the, um, the universe of, of uh, capabilities and allowing financial institutions of any kind and, and even non-financial institutions to plug and play components. But when they, when they hit the button that says post it, that you have a, a very reliable uh, real-time position-keeping flat platform behind it that does that one thing very, very well. I'm really curious how you would categorize um, this last lap, as you described it, compared to some of the, the your previous goes at building banking software. Like, was was is building banking software today, given the robustness and given the openness of it, is it a much, it sounds like it's a much bigger undertaking. That's a good uh, point. And it, it is and it isn't. So it's a bigger undertaking in that, the level of sophistication of the client, the the level of sophistication of the financial products that are being produced is always going to going to increase uh, over time. Despite everybody starting by saying we just want a simple this, well, it never it never actually turns into that as as you get into the product because uh, financial institutions want to and need to differentiate themselves. So that you have you have additional complexity there. Uh, there are more, clearly uh, more payment options today. So if you're connecting to payment systems, you have you have more options. It's a global audience, so you have to consider things like multi-currency and multi-language. Uh, though the language isn't as much a part of, of my application, but it is of the, you know, of the stack. Uh, there, there's much tighter um, control over uh, authentication and encryption, and other, you know, all the security aspects and, and fraud and the like. So clearly, the um, the table of requirements um, or the list of requirements is has increased over, uh, you know, over time. It's offset to an extent by uh, the hardware is more abstract. You're dealing in a cloud, in a container. So you're not coding for a particular piece of hardware. And then, um, you know, if you want to get another piece of hardware, you have to actually change your code. That's the, That world has evolved um, significantly. The development environments themselves are um, much easier than modern languages. Um, you know, we use a language called Golang, but, you know, there are, you know all the languages in that. In, in in this tier are much easier to code in. They're much easier to debug. So the development process itself is is uh, is facilitated. The tools that that allow us to develop and test are facilitated. A big part of the a very big part of the development process on any uh, product is is being able to clearly articulate specifications to be able to model your specifications, and then they'd be able to set up uh, test cases and hopefully. Um, um, test cases that can run as much as possible automatically. So you can do regression testing every day, that kind of thing. And those tools, the actual, um, the actual toolkit to allow around technology and technology development has improved substantially, even over the last uh, 10 years. And getting on a cloud where everybody can just gen up an instance and, you know, we can, we can have a copy and, um, and our customers can have copies and developers can have copies and they can just instantly uh, we can instantly create those containers on a cloud again, facilitate the development process. So there's there's pluses and minuses um, as we get into this, Zach. I, I think net net, uh, my opinion is it's easier to um, to build applications today, uh, somewhat offset by the fact that there's much more scope to build towards than, than there was. I appreciate that answer. 
I want to double click, Frank, on something you talked about before, and those are the attributes that define a next generation core. Can you can you talk about some of those? Sure. I think um, the things that are automatic or, or you know that are uh, table stakes are that it is a cloud based application, and and really, uh, you know, uh, ours and others were designed from scratch. You know, so every, every line of code was written from scratch and written for the cloud. So there are, there are uh, facilities that, that, that are available uh, by the cloud providers that um, we want to take advantage of around security, around database, um, uh, you know, around elastic scalability. And, and so writing for the cloud allows you to do that. That's different than running on the cloud. So um, anything can run on the cloud. I mean, Microsoft Word runs on the cloud, you know, and it's, the code was written for a PC, but it runs in the cloud and, and legacy COBOL applications can be, you know, lifted and shifted to the cloud as well. So running, we need to differentiate running on the cloud versus designed and built uh, for the cloud. So, cause you know, one's kind of a hosting facility and the other's taking advantage of the infrastructure that, that these providers uh, offer us. So that's, that's one table stakes. I believe RESTful APIs um, is another uh, part of table stakes saying that the way that this application or any cloud-based uh, system of record operates is it operates through that protocol, an HTTP protocol, because that's what allows us to uh, be accessible to the outside world without writing custom point-to-point -point, uh, interfaces. Being real-time um, is is critical. The world is, um, is is moving that way in terms of availability, 24 by 7. The, the idea of of um, a bank being limited or its hours being limited by a branch network is, is um, archaic even now, you know? So you have to eliminate the, the notion of time zones and um, being being a factor or expecting your customers to be in particular time zones. You have to be available 24 by seven, the uh, updates to the accounts or in the case of FinZac, the positions um, have to be real time, yet you still have to um, interface with and accommodate um, the batch world, because there's uh, a lot of the payments are coming in through ACH or X.9, which are both batch protocols. Um, the accounting updates to general to the corporate general ledgers are on a daily basis, which are batch. So you have to accommodate uh, both the real-time nature of the channels that you're operating with, with the batch nature of a lot of the systems that are that we still have to interface uh, with. But but I think real-time is an important consideration. Uh, we, I think a consideration is um, is not having any kind of a day-end batch or day-end process that in any way um, stops the system from being 100% available uh, to its channels. And that's something that that we uh, spent a significant amount of time designing in FinZac into an architecture that we call an event-based architecture. So um, everything that that happens in FinZac that's based on a, a time series, like a, an account maturity, a rollover, um, interest posting statements, those are all driven off of um, event calendar. So every position, every account, every party, a customer in the FinZac system has event calendars says, for me, the next thing that happens will happen at this point in time. Um, we also, while we were there, we even eliminated the notion of a day um, being the smallest unit of measure in banking. You know, so now we can, we can offer uh, 27 minute loans if we want, or, you know, one and a half day term deposits, you know, so everything's kind of moved to a time-based um, uh, scenario. And that's, that's facilitated by the uh, venting and the calendar of it. So those are all um, important. That's really powerful. Um, I, I'd like to zoom out a little bit and, and ask you, practically speaking, what are some of the ways financial institutions and fintechs 
a leveraging next generation cores like FinZac to move financial for services forward? The first thing you're doing is they're um, developing new products with things like multi multiple positions. So if you look at uh, the one account now acquired um, from by Walmart, which is one of our larger install bases, they when you open when you open an account there. Um, you immediately get a savings position, a transaction position, and a line of credit, and they they're all under the same account. So funds are moving uh, depending upon the uh, the payment source and and you know customer um, um, limits and and that type of thing. The the funds are moving in and out of those accounts seem or positions seem, seamlessly to um, to the customer. And we see um, uh, we see other uh, banks and FIs um, providing similar. A capability, so uh, it's it's much easier uh, for customers kind of manage your cash flow when it's kind of seamlessly sweeping back and forth, and and it's all under the same account, rolls up to the same uh, statement, and it looks like one thing. You know that's uh, uh, that's important. Also, the um, connections to the to the payment systems are real time. You see, I, I think settlement, um, you know, the period of holds, uh, um, term of holds, and the process of settlement will continue to move towards more real time. It's not real time today on, on many of the uh, clearing interfaces, not, not by nature of the next gen products, but by nature of the payment system itself. But it's clearly, uh, it's clearly moving in that direction. And we have a lot of initiatives that are underway with, um, with um, different payment systems to, you know, to move that way. So that's another thing that you're going to see that's, um, that's a differentiator. And I think the last thing is integrating into um, an ecosystem where somebody may be, um, uh, we have an, an application that goes and reads um, small business general ledgers, and we integrate directly into that. And we can take, um, we can look through their payables and um, evaluate them immediately and finance loans um, for them, you know, or look at the receivables and immediately issue ACH requests for that. For that, so it's you know without without some kind of additional steps in between, it becomes, it becomes a seamless integration. So those are all the kinds of things that banks are, are using uh, this platform. And then the last is it's just, uh, it's more, it's becoming more efficient to be on a next gen platform than on a legacy platform, because the, the elastic scalability that cloud providers offer us um, um, says that we don't have to crystal ball, you know, what, what the system's going to be, uh, look like from a scale perspective three or four or five years now for, for our own um, procurement, you know, requirements. And we don't have to, um, we don't have to scale to the worst day and pay, and pay for that because the elastic scalability lets us um, scale on demand as we need it. So even though, the, you know, arguably the cloud providers are making money, um, but they, the efficiency that's gained by the elastic scalability is, is substantial and supporting these systems um, you know, using modern languages and modern development environments is is substantially more efficient than supporting legacy systems with um, with you know resources that are using um, technology that's hard to acquire and you know hard to pull somebody out of school and learn. So you know the the, the whole transition of of this industry and, and really the tech industry in the last you know five or six years really um, you know language transitions, um, infrastructure transitions, platform transitions, and and it's just more efficient um, to use new things than it is to, to, uh, to try to keep old things running. That makes a lot of sense. I'm also curious um, what role the flourishing of fintech and, and sort of new products, new services um, as an input into what a next generation core looks like. 
is, is there is there a connection between sort of the 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 renaissance we've seen in, in fintech products and services into you know connected to cores? Yes, I think uh, that's a very good point. I think as far as next gen cores are concerned, fintechs uh, led the way. So you know, I think banks were uh, banks were constrained. Uh, in what they could offer. You know, it, the banks have been surrounding cores for probably 15 years, at least larger banks where they, you know, they, they're actually trying to decontent the cores because they, they were intractable. And they, even though they're the basis for a lot of the features of the products that banks are, you know, able to offer, uh, trying to change them um, was, was very complicated, trying to change a whole system. So, so banks have developed these surround strategies where they now have uh, logic and um, and data um, across multiple platforms and have a big reconciliation issue anytime they make a change or anytime they update something because it's residing across uh, multiple platforms and so that the uh, they they were unable to really be innovative and the the legacy providers frankly uh, weren't any in any better shape the fintechs came in um, clean slate and said I don't have you know like like any like any uh, disruptor, I'm not encumbered in that way. Um, frankly, there are some disadvantages there too in terms of knowledge of the regulations and those types of things. But as far at least as, as flexibility and freedom to do whatever they want, uh, yeah, they, they were able to do that. So they, so they thought out of the box, they, they created innovative uh, products, things that customers were asking for. And uh, that really, in, in my opinion, uh, that created the tension uh, that forced the... Um, not only the legacy providers, but the the existing financial institutions to um, to step up to the to the plate here and say, uh, if I don't compete, I, I you know my customers will leave. I mean, we 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 clearly have moved past the day and age where a branch on the corner was the reason that somebody banked anywhere. You know, I'm, it's it's you know it's, yeah, it's clearly now um, it, it's all mobile, it's all digital, and and so um, in order to in order to compete, you have to compete, right? You have to have something competitive. So they, uh, so the banks, you know, the I was surprised when I got into the industry um, in 2017 and started this last initiative. Um, I was I actually delayed for two years. I said, well, banks never change. They don't, you know, they, so many horror stories about cores and this and that. And, you know, they're, you know, so, so you question yourself, if I build it, will they come? Uh, for my last question, I'd love to turn our gaze a little bit outwards. Um, obviously, you've you've witnessed tremendous change within your career and innovation. You've been part of making that change. I'm kind of curious when you look towards the future, what kind of innovations, what kind of world do you see? Well, I, I think you're going to see um, some of the some of the things are just pragmatic. I think you're going to see you know a, a continued migration to real time settlement. Um, you know, there's no reason. There's no technical reason that there's that that couldn't happen today that there are platforms like ours that, that provide that the, the uh, it, but it takes a while for an industry to transition over but I, I think you'll you'll see that I think you'll see much more um, integration around um, art with artificial intelligence and, and um, um, decision processing to um, really incorporate financial services in terms of to me, it mostly comes down to liquidity as far from a customer perspective, but incorporated into um, individuals' daily lives that, you know, that, that, that the systems that they're operating with, that their bank or FI is a true partner with them and is able to, um, 
you know, to, to take them down the road, you know, as they, as they evolve um, their financial um, story, I guess, and, and, and try to, uh, if not accrue wealth, at least stay ahead of the, ahead of the curve. I think that the techno- technology can definitely uh, help you there. So there, I think you'll see a further integration. And, and some of that is also driven, you know, like you call it the fourth industrial revolution or the, with the internet of things and, and just this, this flood of data that, that's available. It's, um, and some companies have done a very, very good job analyzing things, even like emails and tech, you know, and, and, and predicting what a customer or an individual may want or need. Well, there's nothing, in my opinion, there's nothing that describes you better than your transactional activity as in, in context. What'd you buy? Where'd you buy it? You know, what's, what's the trends there? Uh, that information is structured information and it really paints a picture uh, of an individual's financial objectives or at least their um, direction, right? And their momentum. So uh, I think that's um, the utilization of that information uh, along with the the tight integration of liquidity into everyday lives is what you're going to see. You're going to move away from just kind of, you know, you have this account with a card and you have this account with a with a check on it and this account of savings and you have to kind of manipulate. I think you're going to see a much tighter integration of all that. Frank, it's always great to speak to you. Thanks for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast today. Zach, I really appreciate the time. Uh, Thanks for having me.